you never get a second chance to make a first impression. That used to mean firm handshakes, sharp dressing, smiling, and eye contact. But in this age of fist bumps and Zoom, many first impressions happen over a screen. The more successful you are as an author, the more time you will spend on camera. Whether that's being interviewed by the media, doing a webinar, or simply having a video call with influential people. So how you present on screen is critical for ongoing success. Most authors use the built-in microphone and camera on their laptop and hope for the best. This gives you a chance to get an edge. With just a little bit of work, you can look and sound so much better than the typical author. This boost in quality is what opens doors and helps readers, gatekeepers, and critics see you as a serious author and not an imposter. So what are those simple tricks that will take your videos from amateur to professional? Find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for authors who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And let's get started talking about the first thing people will notice, how you look. Before they click play, they will see you in the thumbnail. So let's talk about how to look good on camera. And my first tip is to use a good webcam. I know you don't want to hear this, but the webcam on your expensive brand new laptop is terrible. The problem is not with your laptop maker. The problem is with physics. Your laptop lid is just too thin to fit a good lens. It can't capture enough light to make a good image. And I have an example in the blog post version of this episode. I'm going to be giving a lot of tips on video, and I have photo examples in the blog version. So for the podcast version, you can take my word for it. Or you can take a look at the examples. And I have an example from the standard Apple laptop webcam. This is what almost all Apple laptops used until very recently, and it just looks awful. <laughs> Most Apple laptops and desktops have a 720p camera, and it's in such a thin lid that it just, there's no way to make it look good. So I have an example of a $300 Elgato Facecam Pro, which is the most expensive webcam that you can buy. And, I, and it's using $400 worth of Elgato key lights, and it looks good. But this is a very expensive setup. And for most authors, spending $700 on gear is just prohibitive and not worth it if you're only doing you know, one video call a month. But what if I told you you could get quality even better than this $700 setup? Because I don't use the $700 setup anymore. I use something even better that cost me way less. In fact, it turns out the best webcam you can buy is already in your pocket. <laughs> so if you have an iPhone and a Mac, that iPhone is a webcam. You can select it in your settings. For Zoom or in your webinar settings, you just click cameras and you select your phone. It's just a matter of mounting it above your computer, which you can do with a $20 laptop mount or desktop mount. It's really amazing because you're like, why is this the case? Is this new? And the answer is yes. Back in 2020, Apple realized their cameras were terrible. <laughs> and so what they did was they created a new feature called Continuity Camera. And this mode turns your iPhone XR or newer into a webcam. 
So you don't need $700 worth of gear. You just need a $20 piece of plastic to put your phone above your monitor. You don't even need to plug your phone in. Although if you do plug your phone in, it will keep it charged. <laughs> if you have a PC and an iPhone, you can use your iPhone as a webcam using an app called Elgato Facecam. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you have an Android and a PC, you can use the app DroidCam to use your Android phone as a webcam. If you have an Android phone and a Mac, I don't know of a way to use your phone as a uh, webcam. So if that's you, if you can't use your phone as a webcam for whatever reason, one way that you can improve your video quality is to invest in some studio lights. The more light on the subject, the more light available to the camera sensor and the better the image. So I have an example in the show notes of how I look with and without the studio lights. And the studio lights really make a big difference. Now, if you've ever talked into a phone that connects to a wall with a twisty cable, avoid the temptation to get a small ring light. <laughs> so uh, ring lights, especially small ring lights, tend to be more flattering for younger faces and less flattering for older faces. Instead, if you are older, I recommend getting a large soft light like the Elgato Key Light. Now, the larger the light source, the softer the light and the softer the shadows or no shadows at all, which is what you want, right? Harsh shadows accentuate wrinkles and markers of age. <laughs> the Elgato Key Light also lets you tweak the brightness and color temperature to get just the right amount of light on your face. If you do get a ring light, get one as big as you can. The larger the light source, the softer the light. But I will say, if you use an iPhone as your webcam, you don't need to worry about any of this. <laughs> the lighting is handled inside the software on the phone. So consider, instead of buying a $200 key light, uh, go on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or eBay and buy an old iPhone 12 with a cracked screen and just set it up as a permanent webcam above your monitor, right? You don't care that the screen's cracked. You're not using it as a phone. You're just using it as a camera. And then suddenly you've got one of the best cameras that money can buy and you didn't spend very much money on it. The next tip to look better on camera is to wear solid colors. So I remember one day my photo was in the Austin American Statesman, <laughs> the local Austin paper. Now, I wasn't surprised per se that I was in the paper. I'd been at a political protest all day and photojournalists had been taking my photo all day long. <laughs> the biggest surprise was that in the photo in the paper, I was wearing a solid light blue dress shirt. Now, here's the thing. I don't own a solid light blue dress shirt. <laughs> the shirt I wore that day was white with navy blue stripes. So was this some kind of bizarre fake news conspiracy to change the color of my shirt in the newspaper? No, <laughs> there was no conspiracy. There was no malice and there was probably no knowledge of what happened. Digital cameras use a technology called compression to fit gigabytes of visual data into an image that's only a few megabytes in size. That's what the power behind the .jpg is, not to get too technical. But during the decompression process, errors enter the photo and the decompression algorithm tries to filter out those errors. So that algorithm interpreted my stripes as a visual error and error corrected the white and the navy blue together into a solid light blue. These decompression er image errors aren't a big deal, right? The photojournalist who took the photo never noticed. And, you know, I wasn't bothered. I was a little perplexed at first. <laughs> but when it's done on video, 
it kind of flickers in and out and it can really, it almost creates a shimmer and it, it's no good. And, and certain patterns do it, certain patterns don't do it. But the rule of thumb is if you're going to be on camera, go with a solid outfit. And you can layer solid patterns on top of each other, right? So you put a jacket or a blazer over your shirt, that's fine. But really fine stripes, no good. Another tip to improve the quality of your lighting is to put the light in front of you. So if you're set up in your office or wherever you write and there's a window behind you, that window will put your face in shadow. And depending on your webcam, the webcam will try to expose what's happening outside, which will make the whole room very dark. And I have a really good example of what this looks like in the blog post version of this episode. But for grins and giggles, I'm like, what would this look like if I did it on my iPhone? And and so I set up my iPhone with the window behind me and it exposed just fine. I was kind of stunned. But it turns out that the iPhone, especially the newer iPhones, have a neural engine that exposes faces differently than the rest of the scene and even the window differently from the rest of this scene. So it's like super high dynamic range. The technology behind it is incredibly complex, which is why you need such an expensive device to pull it off. And so this rule is actually going away. You can get away with a window behind you. It's still not ideal. My face is still in shadow if you look. But if you weren't looking, you probably wouldn't notice. It's really quite remarkable. (laughs) I know this is sounding like a commercial for the iPhone, but really, even a decent Android also has a really good camera. The actual phone part of your phone hasn't gotten any better in the last 10 years. You're dropping calls just as much as you were 10 years ago. Almost all of the improvements in the last 10 years on phones have been on the camera. There's been some other improvements on battery life and things like that, but the biggest improvements have been the cameras getting just incredibly good. Another tip to improve your video quality is to brand your background. So think about what's behind you in the video. The last thing you want in your video is a messy room. Blurring the background doesn't help as much as you'd like to think because people are Zoom savvy these days and they know the reason you blurred your background is because there's a basket of laundry behind you. Plus, uh, you won't always be able to use Zoom to cover up the background. This is particularly true once you start doing webinars and and media interviews. You're going to be using other kinds of interfaces, and you won't have that Zoom blur background button. Yes, there's software you can get for your background to be blurred. But really, if you're going to be doing TV, for instance, they don't want a blurry background. They want you looking like you're in a professional space. So have a professional space as you're building your workspace for writing books. Think about how your background looks. If you don't know what to use, a bookshelf full of books or bookshelves full of books is a great kind of default option. It's great because you're an author and surrounding yourself with books presents you as an author. But books have a second benefit in that they're very good for acoustics. Bookshelves full of books both deaden and block sound. So if there's a busy highway on one wall, put a bookshelf on that wall and suddenly the noise from that highway will be diminished significantly. If you're in a echoey room with hard floors and no carpet, putting a bookshelf full of books will absorb those echoes. I will say, though, the bookshelf has to be full of books because it's the books that have the acoustic properties, not the bookshelf. An empty bookshelf is just more hard surfaces for sound to reflect off of. 
And if you've seen any of my videos, you'll notice that this is what I do. I have books behind me. Now, my books look really sharp, and I'll tell you, I cheated. So I went to a used bookstore and bought a bunch of old encyclopedia sets and put them on the bookshelves, and they look really good on camera. So I have four or five, maybe six different encyclopedia sets on the bookshelves behind me. They absorb sound. They look good on camera. I haven't used them yet as encyclopedias. I'm not sure what I would do with a 1968 encyclopedia. But it looks good. So, you know, there's ways that you can spruce it up. But I want to encourage you to be creative here. Bookshelves are kind of the generic default option, but that doesn't mean that's what you have to use, right? If you write fantasy, right, mount some swords on the wall behind you or buy a fancy wardrobe. <laughs> your, your options are only limited by the space of the room that you're writing in, your imagination, and your budget. Okay, so now let's talk about how to look thinner on camera. They say the camera adds 10 pounds, but this is only true if the camera is shooting up your nose. <laughs> the lower the camera, the more chins you have. Now, this is the one reason why laptop webcam angles are so unflattering. All right, if you've been using your built-in laptop camera, it's not just that it's a thin camera bringing in bad audio and, and bad video. It's also shooting up your nose in a very unflattering angle. Because to be able to type on your laptop keyboard, the keyboard has to be at elbow length, which means the camera is at chest length. And that's just a terrible, terrible angle. So I want you to watch next time you see an influencer shoot a selfie or even just a, a savvy teenager. And you'll notice they're holding the camera above their head. And they do this because that above the head angle, the higher than your nose angle is so much more flattering. Uh, professional photographers have a stool, a step stool that they'll step into to take your photo so that they're slightly higher than you. So let me say this again. A camera looking slightly down on you will make you look thinner. A camera looking up at you will make you look heavier. Plus that up the nose angle is unflattering for 100% of the population. <laughs> So put your laptop on a stack of books and get an external keyboard and plug it in. Or better yet, mount the camera on a large external monitor and move to a two-monitor setup. So you're typing on your computer, and then you have a second monitor plugged into your computer, and that your camera is mounted on top of that larger monitor. Now, the goal is to have the camera higher than your nose. That's the goal. So however high you are, however high your nose is, you want the camera slightly higher than that. So we talked about how to look thinner. Now let's talk about how to look younger. So, and I alluded to this already when I talked about lighting. The harsher the light, the older you look. And it's not just about looking older. That harsh overhead light, if the light is coming straight from above, your eyebrows can create shadows in your eye sockets that darkens the bags under your eyes and perhaps gives you this kind of creepy, untrustworthy look. So you don't want that. And it's actually really easy to fix. So you just turn off your overhead light in your office or wherever you're filming and use other lights to light the room. I went to Ikea and I bought five targ tag garp. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's, an, it's a Swedish word. Floor lamps. So these lamps, if you get them at Ikea, they're 10 bucks. If you buy them on the website, they're $12 and come with a, a light bulb. I got five of these for about 60 bucks. And I scattered them around the room. And the, the lights themselves are adjustable height. I have mine at about elbow height for me so that they're casting light onto the walls. And the walls are then reflecting that light onto me, which 
uh, gives a very, very gentle light that hides my wrinkles. <laughs> uh, and it's a very flattering light and it costs 60 bucks. All right, the next tip is to look at the camera, not at your computer screen. And I will say of all of these tips, this is the one I struggle with the most. When I'm presenting, I tend to look at my face in the video or at my notes. And sometimes I'll just kind of zone out a little bit if I'm really feeling what I'm talking about. But when I zone out, I'm not looking at the camera, I'm looking at the screen. And this becomes very disorienting. And the more off access your eyes are, the more disorienting it is for the audience. So I've spent a small fortune experimenting with various teleprompter technologies. And I'm sad to say that right now there's no teleprompter technology that I can recommend for live video. The whole teleprompter industry is set up for like pre-recorded scripts, just reading a script into a camera that's been pre-written by somebody else. The, it, it's very much based off of the idea that the person on camera isn't very smart and you just need to tell them what to, to say. So like you're watching the news and the anchor's just reading some script that somebody else has written. This new era of the person on camera interacting with the audience, the kind of live stream era, has been pioneered by video gamers and they don't care about eyelines. There's not an expectation to be looking into the camera. So the technology is just not there yet, which is frustrating. But I do have a hack that I do that's helped a little bit. And that is I try to notice what my eye is drawn to on the screen. So if it's my video or my notes, I try to move that on my big monitor to be as close to the camera as possible so that at least I'm looking close to the camera, if not right into the lens. But in general, you want to try to look straight into the lens of the camera when you're talking. It feels very unnatural for you to do it, but it's very natural for the audience. So hopefully that will help give you an idea of how to look better. And let me say, you don't have to do all of these things. Any one of these tips will give you an edge and you just slowly work to improve your video quality. So now let's talk briefly about how to sound better on a video call. And the first tip is not a technical one. The first tip is to practice. So if you're doing a webinar, practice it first. The more you practice, the less you'll fill your sentences with stutters, filler words, and unnecessary repetition. Eliminating this vocal clutter will make you sound smart, authoritative, and compelling. <laughs> I try to practice my brand new talks on my family before giving them to an online audience. I connect my laptop to our TV and I present it as if I were at a business meeting. And if my presentation can hold the attention of a four-year-old, it can maybe hold the attention of a stressed, distracted webinar attendee. <laughs> I'm not sure who's got the longer attention span, the internet user trying to watch my webinar or my four-year-old. But uh, if, I can, if I can hold the four-year-old's attention, I know that I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. And if you think that's harsh, remember, the only reason someone would watch your webinar or your video is because it's the most interesting thing on the internet for that person at that time, right? If there's something else more interesting on the internet, they're going to go do that more interesting thing. The next tip is to use a real microphone. So the microphone built into your laptop might be good enough for a Zoom call for somebody to understand you, but it won't sound professional. It's not recording your voice. It's recording the room. And so it's going to pick up a lot of room noise and a lot of racket from the house, <laughs> depending on how loud your house is. So for years, I've been recommending the Samson Q2U microphone, which is the best $70 microphone on the market. Uh, the price varies. I just checked today as I'm recording this. It's only $56. And it's sometimes as high as $80. 
But it's not the microphone I recommend as much because Samson came out with a new microphone, the Q9U, that's a little bit more expensive and a little bit better. So it's around $100, but it looks better on camera and it gives a richer, warmer sound than the Q2U. They're both great microphones. If you have a Q2U, it's a great mic. You know, you don't have to get rid of it. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but the Q9U, I was recommending it. Uh, it used to be my recommendation if you're a podcast host because it used to be a $200 microphone. But when they brought the price down to $100, I was like, well, gosh, for $100, it's kind of a no-brainer for everyone. And you'll sound immeasurably better with either of these microphones than you will with a built-in microphone on your computer. I do recommend that you avoid condenser microphones like the Blue Yeti. These have all of the same problems. They don't record you. They record the room. They're very sensitive to room noise, and they're not very useful. You can make them work, especially if you do a lot of acoustic treatment in the room. But if you have hard floors especially, the Blue Yeti is not actually going to give you a good sound. If you've got bookshelves full of books and carpet, you may be able to make the Blue Yeti work. But I wouldn't go buy a Blue Yeti if you don't have one. You can get a Samson Q9U for less than the cost of the Blue Yeti, and it will give you a much better sound. And if you put the microphone, whether it's a Q2U or a Q9U, if you put it on a microphone arm, you can pull it close to you where it sounds even better. You get that nice, rich proximity effect. But you can also potentially keep it off camera. So when I'm doing a webinar, I pull my microphone a little bit farther away than I do when I'm doing a podcast, but it's still pretty close and it's kind of hanging above my keyboard on a microphone arm. And I'll have a link to the Q2U, the Q9U, and a good microphone arm in the show notes. I'll have affiliate links if you want to check those out. I also found a USB lapel microphone that I haven't had a chance to test yet. But if you want to go with a lapel mic, this is the kind of lapel mic you could plug into your computer and it would work for a Zoom call or a webinar or some kind of live video. So let's talk about echo. Echo is caused by audio coming out of the speaker and then going back into the microphone. When this is done in real life, it creates a high-pitched whine. So if you've ever been at you know, a church or some sort of event and the, there's this really loud sound from the sound system, that's an echo going through the mic and the speakers over and over again. But online, there's a slight delay. The internet adds a delay to audio. And so instead of creating a high-pitched whine, it creates an echo. Now, there's two ways to eliminate echo in a video call. The first is to use software echo cancellation. Tools like Zoom do this by default, but the more professional tools allow the host to turn echo cancellation off. So why would you want to turn echo cancellation off? Because removing the bad echo also removes some of the good audio frequencies. So when you have echo cancellation turned on, you're going to get a kind of hollow, empty sound. Imagine a picture with part of the picture cut out of it and nothing replacing it. It's just an empty spot for whatever it is you didn't like. It's not as good as the whole picture. So what the professionals do, and if you ever watch a professional working, they don't have software echo cancellation turned on. They make everyone on camera wear headphones or earbuds. So uh, young people see bulky headphones as cool. It's a fashion statement. In fact, they spend more money to get even bulkier headphones, right? So big Beats headphones, Apple's most expensive headphones are big, bulky $500 headphones. You don't need to spend that kind of money. I currently use the Sony MDR7506s, which cost around 80 bucks, and they're excellent. They give a very good, clear sound. I also use the Audio-Technica M40Xs. Those are on my mobile setup. This is another really good headphone. 
But if you prefer something less conspicuous, if you're you're older and the idea of big headphones that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. You can wear earbuds. The Audio M6 Sport wired earbuds are about $15, so pretty cheap, and they're basically invisible. They don't sound great, or you wouldn't want to use them for listening to music or for editing a podcast. But if you want an invisible way to hear the other person on a webinar or video call, they're perfectly suitable for that. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, but I use a gaming headset. (laughs) I've noticed authors, particularly those with teenage sons, often get these for Christmas. (laughs) I've known several authors whose teenage son bought or his mom a gaming headset that's totally for mom to use on her Zoom calls and not at all for me to use on my Xbox. (laughs) Or maybe the author borrows the gaming headset from the family Xbox uh, for calls. The problem with gaming headsets is that the frequency response to the microphone lacks depth. It's EQ'd so that you can hear your voice over the sound of gunshots (laughs) and other video game sounds. And this makes voices, especially female voices, sound unnecessarily shrill. And you don't notice it while gaming. And, And frankly, sounding shrill when bombs are going off and zombies are munching fits the gaming experience. But that shrill sound is no good for professional video. So gaming headsets are designed to make the game sound good more than to make your voice sound good. And I wouldn't use them in a professional context. And then my final tip is not a technical one. It is easy to sound tired, especially if you were up all night with the kids last night and have been sitting at your computer all day. Not that I would know what that's like. <laughs> so do, how do you avoid uh, putting the audience to sleep with a low energy presentation? Well, I'll tell you what not to do. Don't try to sound energetic. This will make you sound like a hyper uh, car salesman. Instead, focus on your face. Raise your eyebrows and smile. Pulling your face up in this way adds energy to your voice in an authentic sounding way. And you're like, I don't know. That sounds kind of weird. Test it right now. (laughs) So relax your face, droop your shoulders and say something. How does that sound? Now, raise your eyebrows and smile and say something. How does that sound? (laughs) As the old adage goes, it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than it is to feel your way into a new way of acting. You have full control over your actions. You can't control how you feel, but you can control how you position your face, right? You can force your face to smile. You can force your eyebrows up. And even if the feelings never follow, at least you gave a high energy presentation to your audience. (laughs) And your audience deserves your best, even if you don't feel like it. I remember listening to Rush Limbaugh talk about this. He was answering questions about being a radio host. At the time, he had the number one radio show in America, and there wasn't even a close second. And somebody asked, you know, how do you handle bad days? And he's like, well, when I first got started, I had bad days. Uh, But I learned that I'm a professional and it doesn't matter how I feel. I have to give my audience a good show every single day. And so I don't have bad days anymore, which didn't mean he wasn't sick. You know, years later, he got very sick and he still recorded his show. But it meant that he treated it like a professional, right? You look at a plumber or a construction worker, it's wet, it's freezing, you know, and they're working. They probably don't want to be there, right? It's not fun to be on the top of a cherry picker fixing a power line while there's an ice storm outside. (laughs) But they're professional. They do the job because the job needs to get done. And you need to have the same respect for your job. You need to have the same respect for your audience. 
All right, so that's how to look good, how to sound good. I have a few more advanced techniques. So kind of set these aside in a separate section because I don't want you to feel like you have to do these. These are more advanced, more expensive, and more complicated techniques. But if video is a major part of your platform, you may be willing to invest some more time and money to get that little bit of edge in your video quality, in your audio quality. So my first advanced technique is to get a sit-stand desk. This is a desk with a button on it that goes up or it goes down. So you can sit at it or you can stand at it. And I use the Beckant sit-stand desk from Ikea. I, basically, all of my furniture is from Ikea. I, I realized that building Ikea is like Legos for adults. <laughs> so I really enjoy assembling Ikea furniture. It's like a relaxing hobby for me. And the sit-stand desk allows me to sit while I prep a presentation and stand to deliver it. So for instance, I'm standing right now as I talk into this microphone. But all day as I was working on the outline and doing research for this episode, I was sitting at my desk. Yes, I know I should have been standing the whole time for my health. And it is good to stand. <laughs> so if you can just get a standing desk and pull it off, go for it. But I have health issues and sometimes I have to present sick and sometimes I have to work sick. And, and when that's the case, it's nice to be able to sit down. But it is nice to be able to stand and have that option at the push of a button. And I do have one tip for standing desks as somebody who's used a sit-stand desk for years. This IKEA desk is, has been very reliable for a long time. And that is to get an anti-fatigue floor mat. This is a kind of squishy foam mat. If you're ever at a grocery store, you'll notice the person behind the cash register on an anti-fatigue floor mat. If you don't have this kind of mat and you're not used to standing, your body's not used to standing, you'll have a lot of foot and back pain. And the, the mat eliminates that. So some people try a standing desk and they're like, oh, my feet hurt. My back hurt too much. I wasn't able to pull it off. It's likely because they didn't know about the mat. <laughs> the mat is a key part of the standing desk. If you're standing barefoot on a hard floor for six hours, your feet are going to hurt. <laughs> but if you're standing on a mat and maybe wearing some slippers or some socks, it, you can go all day. The next tip is to get a recording light. So most authors do their video calls from a home filled with noisy humans. <laughs> so how do you signal to your family to shut up without putting yourself on mute and shouting at the top of your lungs, which is... Uh, not very professional. <laughs> well, the easiest way to do it is to get an $8 doorknob hanger. And I'll have a link to one in, on Amazon. It says, you know, now recording or now streaming. And this is inconspicuous. It's easy. It's low tech. And it keeps people from barging into the room. But the problem is people may or may not notice it. I live with, well, let's just say, energetic small children. <laughs> and they make a lot of noise. They make so much noise. So I need something a little more obvious than a door hanger. And so I got one of those Tagarp IKEA floor lamps. I put a red light bulb in it and I connected it to a Philips Hue smart plug. And I put it outside of my office door. And this allows me to, from my computer, turn on the red light on and off. <laughs> in fact, I even have a button on my Elgato Stream Deck that connects with the uh, Philips Hue smart plug hub. So if you have a smart home, this is a smart home friendly way of doing it. But even if you don't have a smart home, this is only $60. All of this gear together is 60 bucks, And you can, from your phone, turn the lights on and off. <laughs> and this has been really effective. The toddlers know this as the quiet light. And they know that when the light is on, they need to be quiet. And, which is perhaps even more valuable, my wife knows when the light's on <laughs> that the toddlers need to be quiet. 
because this light doesn't work all the time, especially on the younger ones. It doesn't work at all on pets. Which brings us to the final advanced tip, and that is to buy a solid core door. So this is the most complicated and perhaps the most expensive. The door itself is only about $150. So typical American home, the interior bedroom doors are hollow. But you can get a solid door made out of solid wood. And that solid wood blocks basically all high-frequency sounds. So it's the kinds of noise that children make are pretty high-frequency. They have high-pitched voices. It blocks that really well. The yipping of a small dog, it would block really well. The barking of a big dog would penetrate a solid core door better because of physics and how acoustic waves work. But for me, this solid door that I got, and the door itself is $150 and the handyman charged maybe $150 or $200 to install it. So it's about $400, $450. It's kind of pricey to install, but it blocks 80% of the children noise. <laughs> so where the light fails and the kids still make noise, it's really effective on that. It is not at all effective, though, on a child banging on the door. <laughs> There's no fix for that. So I realize as installing a door is a big project. You don't need to do this if you're only doing the occasional video call you know, or audio podcast. There's no need for this. But it's an option, and I've been very thankful to have a solid core door. So just to leave you with one final thought, I want to say, you know, I've given you a lot of tips to improve your audio and video. Don't feel like you have to do all of these tips. This took me my whole career to learn and implement these tips. If you do just one thing, it will make a big difference. And I will say of all the tips, the one that will make probably the biggest difference for the least money is to switch to your phone as a your webcam. It's 20 bucks to get them out and the difference is dazzling. So you switch to your phone for your webcam, you spend $50 on a Q2U, the cheaper of those two microphones that I recommended. Those two things, you now have amazing video and really good, surprisingly good audio. And you spent less than 100 bucks. And with just those two things, you'll sound better than 99% of other authors. And this is what can give you an edge. What gets you invited back on the media tour, it's what gets you that speaking engagement. I was just on a call. There was this big event. The governor's speaking at it, and they're looking for somebody to host it. And when they saw my setup, they immediately wanted me <laughs> to, to host the event. And it was purely based off of the visual and audio quality of my setup here. And, and so it really does open doors. And you don't realize how many doors it opens until you improve the, how you present on screen. So treat every Zoom call, even if it's just one with your friend, as an opportunity to practice improving the audio and video calls that you do from your computer. You don't want your big interview with a big TV station to be the first time you're putting these tips into practice. So practice little by little, try one thing at a time, and after a while, you'll be shocked at just how good you look and sound. If you want more help sounding good and getting booked as a podcast guest, I have a whole course called How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest. <laughs> so podcast guesting gives you a high credibility way to reach new audiences, gives you the influence of someone else's podcast without all of the work of starting your own, and it gives you access to influencers you can't reach any other way. You don't have to hire a PR firm for $3,000 to schedule your podcast interviews. You can do it yourself. You just need to know how. And I walk you through exactly how to do it in this course, including a template of exactly what to say when you're reaching out to a new podcaster with, you know, fill in the blank and I have examples of how you can do it yourself. 
With this course, you'll learn how to become a sought-after podcast guest who has access to thought leaders and readers alike. And I will say, many of the things that I teach in that course for getting booked as a podcast guest also apply for media interviews, uh, webinars, and and the like. So it's, it's very similar. Once you learn how to reach out to people with platforms, it's a useful skill across the board. You can find out more about the How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest course at authormedia.com slash courses. I'd like to thank our new January patrons, Lisa Baker, Sophie Dubois, Nikki Hertzer, Annie, Jen Richards, and Susan Macias. Thank you for becoming patrons last month. Thank you for your support helping keep the Novel Marketing Podcast on the air. I could not do this without you. Uh, A quick personal update. We survived the ice storm. (laughs) So Austin got hammered with a terrible ice storm. Our trees weren't quite so lucky. I think we lost about half of our tree branches and at least one of our trees is going to have to be removed, sadly. But we're slowly pulling everything back together. And fortunately, our power stayed on, but many of our friends did not. And we had folks staying with us and spending time over at our house with their small children which was fun. It was great to have them, but it is a real change of pace and, and it uh, disrupted my output a little bit. So uh, if you're waiting here back from me on an email or something like that, uh, give me a few days. We're still putting things back together. I have a lot of chainsawing to do. I just don't have a chainsaw. So we're, we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. The blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. And this blog post version, particularly, I took a lot of photos, and especially in the video section, to illustrate. And you can find that at authormedia.com slash 357. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host, saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.